Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique a movie, but talk about how we could make it better. With you today are your typical host, myself, Tony, and... Me, me, Matt, that's my name. Yes, good job. But also with us today is a very, very special guest, Jess Aducci. Hello. Jess is actually a credited writer, producer, director, actually like professional in this whole movie making world and making of filming and projects and stuff. Unlike Mild, mildly professional. Mildly, mildly yeah. professional. She's also yeah, she, kind of a swell person. And of the three of us today, she's my favorite person on the panel. So <laughs> I'll That's take high it. praise. Matt usually <laughs> loves himself more than anyone. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but thanks, Tone. <laughs> well, okay, Matt. How about we use that as a segue to go into what we watched for this podcast today? We watched, oh, Lord, there's some history behind this. Uh, you should all know. We watched a movie called Timeline. Uh, the movie opened in 2003. It had an $80 million budget, which is ridiculous because it really does not look like it at all when you watch the movie. Uh, it made about a quarter of that. And it's kind of a mess. I was reading up a little bit on the history of the movie. It was the last movie Michael Crichton allowed uh, <laughs> an adaptation of one of his books. He actually specifically wanted this went made into a movie and forwent all like, um, what's it called when they pay you for it, basically? He, um, he took no royalties and did, he, he gave the rights up for it for free. Oh, my right. goodness. Well, he had, he had a back-end deal. He was thinking this movie was going to make gobs and gobs. He had a back-end deal for like a percentage oh. of sales. It did not work yep. out for him. He did not sell another movie in his lifetime. Uh, or he Michael did not Crichton. sell another adaptation, right? And it's so sad because... T so Tony and I saw this in high school 100,000 years ago when we were in high school. And and it's one of our absolute favorite books. It's an excellent book. And it's mm -hmm. just a mess of a movie. Well, That's and the backstory. You're, you're mentioning Michael Crichton. Uh, what else did he do for, for audience... He sake. did this little tiny independent film called Jurassic Park that a couple people saw, I think. He um, wrote the book. Just sure, to be clear. yeah, right. He also, <laughs> um, he had a, a short stint where he was directing as well. He did uh, Westworld. He did Andromeda Strain. Uh, sorry, the original Westworld, not the one that's on HBO right now. He directed uh, that? a movie. Yep, yep, he wrote and directed Westworld. It was wow. very clearly his like precursor to Jurassic Park. You can, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But the yeah. pirates don't eat the tourists. Well, they do in my movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, Michael Crichton, if you don't know who he is, he's a, he was a super successful author, wrote a really great science fiction. He's one of my favorite authors of all time. And of all of his books that I've read, which is almost all of them, Timeline is by far, hands down, my favorite book. Wow. Very, very good book. So, Jess, since yeah. you're our guest today, why don't you tell our listeners – what the hell this movie's even about? Okay, so I knew I was going to have to do the summary, and I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to answer that question because it's a little all over the place. There's a lot going on, and by the middle, literally the middle, I paused it, I really didn't care anymore. So <laughs> I wrote it down <laughs> just so I wouldn't forget. All right? So I got to so ask, did you yeah. pause it when... when in the, the river scene with Gerard Butler and Kate. Oh, no. Whatever. Or not Kate. Okay. Because that's like no. right at the halfway point. And that's when I walked away to take a break. <laughs> and that's when I, I think, told Tony to take a break as well. Because uh, it was just like, It was okay. so charming, though. I know. Oh, that no, was. we can get into this. It was. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, it, that, we'll to me, was like a good breath moment. But anyways, proceed. Okay. I think it was right after that. It Yeah. It was right after that. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
So you can feel free to jump in or make, you know, snide comments. I'm just going to kind of kind of make it through this. Okay, guys? I'm going to try and hold my Go tongue. for it. Okay. I'm not very good at it. but I And this is going to be in jest speak, just so you know. <laughs> all right. Um, so a dude in medieval peasant garb gets hit in the desert and dies of all kinds of broken insides. Uh, the fixer, who I'm calling the fixer, which is, you know, Neil McDonough or whatever his name is, um, and someone who does the bad guy's dirty work, picks up the body for a company. Company scientist dudes talk about peasant guy's death in a mustache twirling way. Um, so then intro the archaeologists and their dig. Professor Dad, who's Billy Connolly. I love him. Um, awesome. Merrick. Also, I love Professor Dad. That's what we're calling him for the rest of the episode. Exactly. I'm, I, I have all kinds of names. Um, Excellent. Mer Merrick, who I'm giving him his actual name, is Gerard Butler. Uh, Surfer son is Paul Walker. And lame chick <laughs> is Francis O'Connor. Um, they're all introduced. And we learn super quickly that they're at a French dig looking into a battle at Castle Guard between the English and the French in the 14th century. And the details, some details about Lady Claire being on the French side. Um, Professor Dad says he's got to go talk to what we come to learn is the shady company from the beginning who's funding their dig because he thinks something stinks. As a side note, Merrick and Surfer Sun talk about an unearthed sarcophagus of two lovers. How sweet. Um, foreboding. It's something. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll get to that later, man. I have all kinds of. I stopped taking notes about midway through too. Um, but I have. I have notes on the beginning. Uh, a cave. A uh, cave-in drives the archaeologists to an area where they discover a note and bifocals from Professor Dad from the 14th century, saying, "Help me." They try to contact him and instead get sent to bad guy company scientist dudes at lab. It's explained that in trying to develop teleportation technology, they accidentally developed limited time travel technology. And they were funding limited the French dig because travel. their travels always took them to 14th century France. Say what? I said limited time travel. Yes. Yeah. It's, we can get into that. We can get that in, <laughs> into that later, too. Which is just what Jess said. It, it keeps taking them to 14th century French, France this very specific time. Right. This is a great summary so far. Keep going rocking i am a writer so thanks i feel like you've already written a better movie just by changing their names <laughs> like jess um, already fixed our movie guys surfer son <laughs> you just change it to a slightly more snarky tone with a lot of dudes my and honor <laughs> um all right all right uh so now this shady company uh needs the archaeologists slash historians to go get him the professor dad um and they all get what is being called markers to make sure that they can get back home. It's part of the technology, which again is super quickly explained um, and kind of poorly. Uh, so when they arrive with the fixer guy um, and two Marines, all hell breaks loose. They've arrived the day of the big battle that they talked about before. And the English are chasing a French woman and stumble on the group. The Marines are the first to go, of course, and Merrick is separated from them. Um, I feel the need to interject something that I didn't write down. So Merrick, it's kind of important to know, and they don't really establish this. It's important to know Merrick is the most well-versed about that century um, in the whole group. So him being separated is kind of a big deal. And he's Gerard Butler. He's, you he's also really the dreamiest him. of the Exactly. So, so That's kind of why I said Gerard yeah, Butler. We, we've kind of, at this point, we're introduced to everybody's expertise. Like, what was Lame Girl's expertise? Again, they were so really just poorly established. They just, um, hers they just is said layout. That she loved archaeology. Yeah, she just no, loved they, archaeology. They said layout. She she supposedly is going because she knows the layout of everything a lot. Oh. 
Yeah. But real quick, what was Paul Walker's character's uh, surfer boy's expertise? He doesn't have an expertise at all. Um, so, I talked so about that too there? in my notes. He, no, it's okay. because it's his dad. I mean, come on. His, his expertise like, is his dad. Yeah, he's like spending his summer with his dad at this French archaeological dig and yeah. really digging Kate, the lame girl. Yeah. And that's pretty much all he's doing, like spilling beer. Like he does that. Although I, I have a note about him pretty early on that I'm like, okay, so he's useless. And then they have the cave in and he's like all right there and all, you know, lowering them into the, into the thing and whatever. And I'm like, oh, so now he's like an expert at this stuff. Like what? Well, there were a lot of interns. Maybe he interned at his dad's dig site before. His dad so. plainly said he's never been there longer than three weeks. You can't learn this crap in three weeks and remember it once a year. Did they establish Maybe. that he's like a climbing expert at nope. one point? No. Nope. Man, I'm glad we all three <laughs> sort of paid attention to this movie because I think between the three of us, we sort of watched the movie. I know what part you're talking about, Matt, and I will comment on that later. All right, let's all right, like, all just right. keep going. Okay. All right, where did I stop? I gotta find my. Because we're like not even. We haven't even made it to to like the the no. past yet. Yeah. yeah all okay. hell has broken loose. Right. The Marines get separated. Merritt gets separated. Okay. Um. One of the Marines transports back to present day with a live grenade that goes off in the lab, even though they weren't supposed to bring weapons. He was um, told explicitly yeah. not to do this, and he yes. he 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 did. Apparently, did it anyway. Um. So it destroys all the lab equipment and the way home for you know our hapless heroes. Um, after a bunch of action, Merrick and the French woman make it back to Castle Guard just as the fixer is leading the other part of the group there as well. Yay! Serendipitous. They're picked up immediately by the English, taken to Lord Oliver, the lead English bad guy, who promptly kills the only Frenchman in the group um, and imprisons the rest. Because where he's they French. Because he's French, yes. Well, he's um, at war with the French and the English, and then he says, who else am I at war with? A yeah. Very charming oh, Michael the, the Sheen. The Scottish... Yeah. Michael Sheen oh, really yeah. trying to like hold this movie together. Bless his heart. Because the well, it was because that every all the people claimed to be Scottish because they weren't going to pass for English, and right. Billy Connolly is Scottish, so, right? So and so is Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Why we'll is it Gerard Butler playing his son? Yeah. We're, oh yeah. my God, you're getting ahead of me. That's exactly. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I knew. That, I'm sorry. I read your mind. Okay. No, it's totally fine. Um. Okay. All right, all right. So they. So okay. bad guy kills one French guy. Right, and imprisons the rest of the group. Where they stumble across Professor Dad. There's a lot of stumbling and serendipity in this movie. They plot yep. and escape when Merrick sees the French woman get taken into custody. The group escapes, sneaks through town, while Merrick splits off again to save the French woman and have a funny romantic scene. See? See what I did there? Um, mm -hmm. The group tries to hide, but not very well, because once again, they're captured and split up. Surfer son and lame chick run off and are presumed dead in a fire, though we know they're fine. The Fixer and Professor Dad are captured, and Merrick and the French woman, we learn that she is the renowned Lady Claire. English spies spot the French and go after Merrick and the French recapturing Claire. When I was writing this out, I noticed a theme. There's a lot of, run away, get captured, run away, get captured, run away, get captured. Um, I'm seeing it now. Right? Uh, a particular Englishman captures Merrick and takes the coveted marker from him. So now he's got control, and that's like a big no-no. So the markers are how they get back to right. the present. It, they have to like hit a button. Right. But unbeknownst to them, but known to us, the time machine's not even working right now. Right, yeah, of course, they don't even know that. Um, it got grenaded. <laughs> Merrick is thrown into a wagon next to Professor Dad and the Fixer, and they all have a conversation with that Englishman, who comes uh, who we, who comes to find out uh, is from present day. 
Um, he tells them that the time travel device is imperfect and you can have transcription errors if you go through the process too many times. So that guy at the very beginning where his insides were all jacked up, that's what's going on. Too he much time travel. He refuses, the, the English guy, refuses to go back and he's chosen his side, the English, and wants all the new time travelers to like serve him. Um, when the fixture tries to talk to him, the Englishman kills him for leaving him behind in the first place. So we always kind of knew the fixer was kind of a rat. Um, and now he's dead. Meanwhile, Surfer Sun and Lamechick have made it to a local monastery looking for a, a tunnel she had located in present day. And they find it. It leads to the big fort that'll be part of the final battle. The past is now making sense in light of the present. They're starting to see things in the past they saw in the present. Um, so yay, it's coming full circle. And we're almost done. Back in the present, we learned that the device uh, could probably get the group back, but the lead company scientist guy refuses to take the risk. So I think this is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time we go back to the present after seeing the initial like explosion and stuff. Right? No, there was like... No, that's definitely not there true. Was, yeah, there was one other scene okay. where they're still working on fixing Ethan it. Because Ethan Embry from Empire Records... Uh, Mark with a K. Mark with a K. Is try there's a few scenes of him just like really aggressively mm-hmm. trying to like argue on it because he's the one in the group that refuses to go back. He doesn't want to get faxed through time, which is literally how they describe time travel in this movie, like sending mm-hmm. a fax machine through time, um, because he doesn't want to be reduced down to ones and zeros and put back together again. And come to find out, he's totally right for not wanting to do that because <laughs> it has problems. Uh, but yeah, we go back a couple times to him kind of arguing. Okay. Also, at some it's- point, one of you has to describe to me why there was a physicist in their archaeological group because i could not for the life of me figure out why totally well, was going to go there if later they ever accidentally got sent back in time by their backer that he could be there to help rebuild the time machine that's right he wasn't helpful that's Obviously, the part that kills me correct that but I, I did have the a movie line. actually try and explain at all why there was a physicist in their group he no. carbon dated some stuff in the beginning the professor's glasses and the ink on the paper that. yeah that's not a physicist <laughs> Well, but maybe it was just a hobby. He had but you're right. Side. He did. He did at one point carbon he date. Did stuff the mm-hmm. the glasses and the letter from the professor. But at yeah. one point they were like, "You stay here anyways." Like we don't even need a physicist. And all I could think of was like, "Why is he there at all?" <laughs> See, my my thought when they said because the line, I think I even wrote that line down because it kind of cracked me up. It was like, "It's okay. You're just a physicist. We don't need you." Because they're trying to calm him down because he's really freaking out. And I, I, I busted out laughing going, okay, you're dealing with time travel, which is like totally mm. physics. And you're going, you're okay. We don't, you're a physicist. I don't need also, you for this. let's discount the fact that physicists in general are just kind of like smart people. Like you could probably just use him anyways. Right? Yeah, right? Jess, that, that line bit happens at least twice more in the movie. And I want to talk about it later. Oh, yeah. I, I had the same kind of guffaw. I, I feel like somebody was trolling in, in this movie. Right. Maybe okay, so. let me yeah, let me finish the summary. We can ma'am. There's You're so much there. to talk about. Okay. Um Monastery. Okay, secret so, passage. Well no no no. Okay, I want the oh. present day thing. So that's what I was talking about. We go back and yeah, the the lead bad guys who we really don't learn anything about ever. Um Nope. They're like really protective of this technology and or one of them is. And anyway, he's a totally bad dude, and we cut back to see that. Because he's not going to let the group come back. That's the point of that. Um, it's the night of the big battle, and Professor Dad and Merrick have to deliver on a promise for a weapon for the English, which is Greek fire. The fighting begins. The French are losing. Surfer Son and Lame Chick get, a, get to a blockage in the tunnel and weep. 
the French are told uh, about the tunnel to the fort. So they actually go to the tunnel as well. In the present, so this is when we start flipping back and forth a lot. In the present, the same evil head scientist guy who refused to help um, is trying to protect their image and... Anyway. He's trying to get rid of any evidence that those people were there because they yeah. had like their crap in lockers and stuff. Yeah, it's anyway. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's stupid. Uh, the English. Uh, okay, so we're back to the past. The English want to finish off the French by hanging Lady Claire in view of the French troops, giving her brother, the leader, reason to surrender. The French leader, Merrick, Gerard Butler, because this is important to know at this point, goes nuts. Because he's awesome, Gerard Butler, action guy, and blows up mm-hmm. some of the great uh, blows up some of the Greek fire, like the basis for it, um, which coincidentally blows up the tunnel blockage and leads the French to the fort. Lots of fighting happens. Um, Surfer's son ends up in a fight with Lord Oliver, lead English dude, and is saved by lead French guy. Merrick fights the Englishman who's from present day and saves Claire. When given the choice to go back, Merrick decides to stay with Claire. Aww. In present day, the lead company scientist guy tries to sabotage the machine, but instead gets trapped in it, just as Professor Dad, Surfer Son, and Lame Chick are headed back. He ends up being killed by the English in the past. So, goodbye to him. And, for the ending, back at the dig, so they're still at the dig, they realize the sarcophagus they dug up in the very beginning was Merrick and Claire, who had kids and a wonderful life together. And Surfer Son and Lame Chick look officially together or something. The end. Who? <laughs> oh my god, so good. That was, that was probably the best brief summary of a movie yet. Whew. We might have to call you on to do others. There's there's a lot going on, man. A <laughs> Let's lot of nothing. Bring Jess in to like summarize our movies from now on. <laughs> Mic dropped. I'm out. That's the movie. Peace. All there right, you. so that's it. Um, how about so, we just go? Well, well, no, no, hang on, Matt. How yeah. to and Jess, each of you. How did you like this movie? How did it make you feel? <laughs> how did so it I make you go me first? Feel? I have two answers for this because I have how it made me feel when I watched it uh, two days ago or yesterday. I can't remember, and I have how it made me feel when I watched it the very first time in two thousand and three. Um, I remember when I saw it in 2003, I was, I was honestly like angry at the movie. It was kind of like when I saw the last airbender, which we don't have to talk about right now, but anyways, um, I was just mad because again, I loved the book so much and I'm not one of those people that's just like a diehard, like, no, they did it this way in the book. So you have to do it that way. I just didn't understand why they jacked it up so much. Like I get, you can change a, a, a movie when you're adapting it from a book, but it was just not good, you know? And then yeah. now watching it again, just, you know, yesterday or the day before, I was less angry about it. I'd had time to kind of collect myself, you know, since 2003. <laughs> but I just was just disappointed in the I think part of it is watching it now. I recognize so many of the actors. I mean, I couldn't get over watching it like, oh, my God, that's Michael Sheen. Oh, my God. That's David Thewlis. I was like, all these people have gone on to have great careers and definitely shown that they can act. And some of sometimes it feels like they're just trying their best with the what they're given. Um, so I don't know. I guess it was just more disappointed this time that they had some good bits. You know, they obviously had good material to work with. They had some good talent to work with. And I mean, Richard Donner, the director, is not exactly a bad director. 
So it had no, a lot of good components. A lot of good stuff. But it did. It was just a disappointing film. Disappointment. That's the word I'm going to say for me. Disappointed. Okay. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Jess, why don't you tell us uh, how did this movie make you feel, and any backstory you might have on this movie as well. <laughs> um, it's pretty similar, actually. Um, I had read the book, and I, I don't remember the the situation. If I knew it was coming out, so I read the book because I am a big fan of Jurassic Park. Um, I had That's not the read a one, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, I had not read a lot of Crichton before that or anything. I don't rem- remember what made me pick this book up. Actually, Matt, I think it was you, which means I couldn't have watched this when Timeline like originally came out. Yeah, um, we didn't know each other in 2003, unfortunately. I think we were no. sh- we were linked across space and time, but we didn't know each other yet. That's that's very possible. That's that a lot of a lot of our relationships here has has <laughs> it's been destined. So, it wouldn't yes. surprise me. Um but yeah, I had read the book, uh, was not excited by the movie poster, but watched the movie anyway, and was very, 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 very angry. Um, this most recent one, I would still say angry, as much as I understand the disappointment and the reasons behind that. It's it's similar, the reasons are all the same, but if there's any kind of movie that like angers me the most, it's a mediocre movie with potential. Mm. Like you guys, you, you guys are some of the ones that I know you're, you're fixing. They're really duds. There wasn't even potential. Like I'm not watching this going, Oh, if only I'm just watching it going, this is bad. This is really, really bad. Um, <laughs> with timeline there, there is potential, you know, there, I knew not only from the source material, but even just watching it now, I haven't read the book in years. I almost read it before I watched it again. That was going to be a mistake. So I didn't. I didn't read it again. Just watched. Although the movie. I am ready to read it again now. Like yes. Now that we're done. Agreed. Um, but yeah, just Book just club. going through it. Oh yeah, totally. Um, just going through it now, like I can I can see elements, you know, that that would have made it great, and that makes me really really mad. So, kind of kind of mad on both fronts, I guess, instead of disappointed. Tony, how do you feel? Tell us. Oh, boy. Um, I was letting you guys go first so you could cover most of it. Matt, obviously, we saw it at the same time. Uh, One thing I don't think you remember is during the movie, at one point, you looked at me and motioned to me to, like, just walk out. At some point in that movie, and I couldn't even tell you exactly when because it's all so bland, you were ready to leave the theater. And I, I had a rule, especially back then, like, you see the movie through to the end, and... So we saw wow. it through the end. I don't remember that I... at all. No, I, I, I'm with you. We've always both been very hardcore. Like, mm-hmm. you can't really legitimately mm-hmm. talk about a movie unless you've seen the whole thing. And this was like, man, I don't mm-hmm. remember trying to walk out of this, but I believe you. You kind of did like a, <laughs> should we just leave kind of uh, look yeah. and like motion to the exit. I was like, no, but I, I felt I felt as you did, disgusted, angry. Uh, we can get angry about these sorts of things. I think how I feel about it now is I would rather talk about anything else. And (laughs) the reason for that is, is that it's really, I mean, we're going to talk about this and I've got lots to say, but there's, there's not a lot as far as for, as far as I'm concerned for fixing it, that doesn't involve me going, Hey, this happened in the book. Why did it not happen in the movie? 
<laughs> or this didn't happen in the book. Why did they think that would be a good idea? And I just feel so... Like, I'm not do using the best of my movie fixer ability. So I'm glad both of you are here because so far I'm just having to restrain myself from getting off topic as w when the opportunity arises. Fair enough. Well, with that said, let's let's actually, like, jump into some of the breakdown. We let's have see. been... Okay. We've been hating on this a lot. Maybe it's time to come because we didn't tell Jess audience that we try to try to be a little bit more forgiving and a little bit more positive about our criticisms uh, in this podcast when we can. We're kind of letting Jess just no holds bar say we what like she wants. We like to find the glitter in the dog turd. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's let, <laughs> did, with did that you in pull mind, that because the first one you did was Twilight? Is that the glitter reference? Is that what's going on? It <laughs> absolutely was, and I did. Yep. You're you're completely right. Mm -hmm. um, so let's let's start with <laughs> what, if anything, actually worked in this movie. Uh, Jess, you wanna you wanna take us take us into that? Sure. Um, what worked? Okay, so I I I stand by the concept, and not just because the book was solid. I am trying to kind of forget the book, um, mm -hmm. just based on the movie. There's a kernel of something there. Um, Absolutely. I like the time travel. They had they had potential for a mystery. And again, not just because I know the book, but it's helped that I know the book. Um, but they do play on that enough in the movie um, with the whole sarcophagus and all that other stuff. Like if they had if they had emphasized some points differently, they, they could have had this really kind of fun time travel mystery. Um, so there there's. There's a foundation of possibly good story. I agree with that you. Way. The, the central core concept of the movie of a bunch of nerdy archaeologists having to go back in time to like their decided like focus right. is, a, is a cool concept. It's a really neat. Right. You've got your sci-fi. You've got a little bit of fantasy and history. You got a little bit of romance, a little bit of comedy. Like you've got some like good basic bones that are for some reason not connected correctly at all <laughs> in right. the skeleton. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like, I think a positive I can mention is Gerard Butler. I remember mm -hmm. at the time. So I, I was, it was late college for me because I'm mm -hmm. old. Um, and I remember watching it whenever I did watch it and thinking, uh, Gerard Butler, uh, he feels too old for this. And now I'm watching it as, you know, at 37 going, Gerard Butler's hot and he's perfect. So he's such a, he's kind of a baby and he's so handsome. He really <laughs> Isn't is. Isn't it funny how much wiser we get as we grow? <laughs> is that what it is? Is it wisdom? Let, let's pretend no, I'm just, that's what I'm it just 100% on board. Gerard Butler was hot. Right. I want to, okay. I want to just piggyback on what you're saying with Gerard Butler, because you're right. He really is amazing in this, but there's some other really standout performance. I thought Billy Connolly was really good, but I'll argue he was better with his beard. He loses Agreed. his beard at one point and weirdly is not as good of an actor all of a sudden. I don't know why. Completely um, agree. I think, I think Michael Sheen, the little yeah. tiny bit that he's in this movie is crazy good. He's really, really good. Um, Explain for those who don't know what character Michael Sheen played. Um, decline, because I honestly can't remember enough. It's to Lord Oliver. He's, he's the lead English bad guy. Lord yeah. Oliver. Okay. There you go. Gotcha. He has a he has a great scene where he's like sparring with someone and talking to them and um he's just I thought he was really good in this. And 
Um, I don't know. I thought Ethan Embry did okay. I thought... Um, I think this uh, is the hottest I've ever seen him as well. I made that note. Because I, oh, I, yeah? I'm a big Ethan he Embry fan. some intense... 2000 circa 2003 like frosted tips in his hair i just want to that's very important for our listeners to know i think it was so insane to me this 14th century king of england or no no no. we're talking about ethan Embry now oh ethan Embry. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah so some, some of the performances in this movie stood out to me as as actually not too bad almost even good almost go far um, any other things that worked? I made a note here that I actually kind of liked the design of the device. It's not to book, but we're not going to dwell on that. But I actually kind of liked mm. the visual design of the like time machine device a bit. It was completely impractical and doesn't even match the way they describe how time travel works. But it looked kind of cool. I would agree with you if I felt like it was utilized in any way for its coolness. Like there were there was a lot of yeah. missed opportunity with those sure. panels and like what you could have done with reflections and all kinds of stuff. It was, that well, was a missed opportunity. So. Well, I made a note oh, that I liked right. the way the chamber looked, but I made a note immediately after it, that the actual sequence of them traveling through time was really terrible and a missed opportunity to do something like really stargate or something really I described neat. And it, it's bad. I had a description of it as someone took a fan like, you know, and put it underneath every actor's face, turned it on blast, and then the actor just had to act like they were in excruciating pain. Yeah. And that was that was all of the effect you got. There was no, no CGI, there's, no... There, yeah, there yeah. was. There's a little bit of, like... Because they, like, comp- they, like, layered in some, like, shots of water bubbling, which is sort of a reference oh, yeah. to the book, but not a very mm. good one. It was, it, was, it was a really short, forgettable, terrible transportation through time sequence. Agreed. But, um, I, I mean, I, I guess... do have some other things I thought went well, but I didn't. If you guys want to keep going, I don't want to cut you off. When the credits started rolling and the movie was over, loved it. <laughs> Actually, do you know? Hold on. Um, yeah, going back to the performances bit, uh, Anna Friel was uh, who played Lady Claire. Um, mm-hmm. Love yeah. her, Miss You're Little right. Miss Pushing Daisy. She was Daisies. really good. Yeah. Um, oh, she she was actually good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. my God! I did not realize it's who that was. <laughs> I had to look Wait, it up because again, who is she? She's the lead from Pushing Daisies. Oh okay. She's Chuck. Cool. Um, yeah, I think uh, at first, when I first saw her, I thought it was Claire Foy because you know um, the crown. I thought it was too, all that. from the Crown. So I looked it up and I was like, "That's who that is." I love Anna That's Friel. Wild. I don't know what she's doing nowadays, but that was when she would have been popular around that time. So she's touring the country doing timeline reunions. Oh God! It's just I hope her, not. Though. It's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she she is actually really good. So I I will You're right. I will add good that call. in. And I love Neil McDonough, but he sucked in this movie. Yeah, he's the fixer. Some of them I felt like yeah. were doing the best with what they had. I don't think he was doing his best with what he had. No, exactly. <laughs> he had one of my favorite lines, but we'll get to that later. Oh, I can't wait. No doubt. Uh, I, so bet, Tony- I bet we're on the same wavelength here. So uh, anyway. what else did you think worked in this? I, I have one more thing. This is good because like you guys worked. actually haven't crossed into a lot of mine. Or if you have, I've gotten more specific. Mm-hmm. So speaking of titles, I thought the opening titles were very, very pretty. They kind of do like a timeline thing and they pull up like the studio True. studios and all that sort of stuff. It's really quick. It was nice. I was looking for good things to say. Hmm. Uh, I have no memory of I, this. <laughs> right. Uh for the most part, I enjoyed the romance between Merrick and Claire, just like both of you. Mm. But what I enjoyed more was, 
not all of this scene, Jess, because you did mention like you kind of just get rushed into who everybody is. But mm-hmm. one of the uh, the good bits of introduction of the characters was when Billy Conley, the professor dad, is ironing his shirts in his tent and Paul Walker, surfer son, comes in and Billy Conley totally just hands off his shirts and the iron to Paul Walker, who is then like, why am I doing this? And yep. Billy Conley gives him an excellent reason and continues to make him iron his shirts. And I started thinking from that point on, does Paul Walker even know he's in a movie? And I've got many points <laughs> that I'm going to argue for the rest of this that I'm not 100% certain Paul Walker knew he's in a movie. I have a couple theories of what he might have been thinking. Okay. But... That's fun. I have to point I, something... I I have to point something out here because we're touching on it right now. And I made a note a, a specific note um, in the scene you're talking about. It was very clear to me that Paul Walker had never ironed a shirt in his entire life. <laughs> he was not but, doing it right at all. And like no one on set said, Paul, that's not how you do that. So just it was the right. most lovable he'd ever, I'd ever, I've ever seen him on camera to hmm. date. Okay. Uh, may he rest in peace, but you clearly no, haven't seen so- Disney's meet the Deedles, So, Right. I haven't. So, no, he was, <laughs> but it was just his exchange between him and Connolly, because Connolly's his dad, and they have a good relationship. I mean, they're not, and so they're kind of going back and forth, and, and it just, Paul Walker just seems like the doofy son, who's just like, <laughs> and, you know, Billy Connolly's just like the, 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 the kind of sassy dad who's, you know, hitting him with little jabs, but loves him. And I was just like, oh, you know, yeah. I love that. That was great. Everything after it kind of went a little fast. It reminds yeah. me a bit of, uh, what's his name in Fantastic Beasts, Eddie Redmayne. Like, I had the mm. same feeling when I saw that movie that he, he didn't realize he was in the movie. He was just kind of wandering in and out of scenes and they would like roll camera because he seems like he does not know what he's doing in the movie, but he's charming. <sighs> and I think okay. you're right. Paul Walker is charming and does not seem like he knows that he's in a movie. I agree. With I, my, my next thing I like is another example of that. So a few scenes later, we introduce Paul Walker, surfer son to Merrick, which is Gerard Butler. And while that scene I don't think was perfect, what I did like was Gerard Butler gets a bit to explain to Paul Walker why history doesn't suck. Because he's mm-hmm. like, history's dumb, man. Or, you know, something to that effect. Oh, this is and the Gerard conversation gets... by the sarcophagus? Yeah. Yes. I love that scene. I think it's one of the strongest scenes in the whole movie. Right. And it actually comes back later. So it was really not well, but it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, going back to Merrick, Gerard Butler killing it. That scene where they first meet uh, Oliver, he's the one who kind of has to step up and make an excuse for why they're there. And Oliver is totally hitting him back with question after question, kind of trying to break apart his story. And he just comes up with really good answers that I was like, wow, he just like bullshitted that so well. I have a theory that Gerard Butler just ad-libbed the rest that his part of that scene. That's like, funny. Because nothing else in the writing is like that, which makes it stand out so well. Like, motivation. Yeah. Like, he wrote a better story for their alter egos they're trying to be in the past than the actual story. Yeah. I I sort of assumed that they had, like, worked this out in between all of the rushing along that they did. It didn't I just look like that. it, though. And he got hit with a yeah. lot of questions. So he must have really, like, cooked up all the yeah you know, he, he so my other thing okay so here's the other thing my other thing about this is paul, one of the things i think paul walker might have thought he was doing because he's been in movies with vin diesel maybe he's learned about D and he thought he was in like a really like live action D campaign and so gerard butler just really wrote the backstory for his character that's that's my theory there 
Okay. Your theory falls apart because I don't think he had learned D&D yet at this point. But otherwise, it's a very sound theory. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I might be able to make some. Because uh, uh, Vin Diesel learned D&D from Judy Dench when he did uh, the Riddick movie with Chronicles her. of Riddick. I thought it was the other way around. Uh, the truth has no place here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> last thing I like then. Uh, so... Lame girl Kate, who I agree is lame, had three moments where she wasn't lame, and okay. so I had to write them down. She let, did let some decent that. parkour off off of a off down the side of a building. Oh, the rooftop she, scene. She screwed it up. Yeah, she has to screw it up first and get saved by Paul Walker. But then afterwards, she does some decent parkour. So whoever her stunt double was did a great job. Mm-hmm. She stabs a dude pretty quickly with an arrow. And the reason I appreciate that is because the scene before, like, you know, there's no, this isn't a game. You got to be ready to do what needs to be done. She's like, oh, I, and she's like, I am. And I'm like, oh my God, really? It's like, oh, nope, next scene, killing a dude with an arrow. So she's, she's okay for real. And then there was another bit where like, People were struggling. There were knights everywhere. And instead of just standing there freaking out, she, like, picks up a rock and just brains a dude. And I was like, ah, that was smart. Okay, good. You're... But those were her her three top moments for me. And then the rest was sort of, uh, I mean, I think her acting, I, she might not have, I think she knew she was in a movie, but her acting was at the same level as Paul Walker's in this movie. Which is really sad because she's actually a pretty decent actress. I love right. her in, um, uh, oh, of course I'm in a blank right now. Um it's one of those Jane Austens. Or Pride and Prejudice. No. Lesser Prejudice known Jane Austen. No. Man some something Manfield something Manor Mansfield Park. Mansfield Park. Her yeah, and her character was would have been better in Mansfield Park, but that that character did not belong in this movie. Yeah. No, I I if if now's the time to talk about it really briefly cuz I don't I don't want to dog all of our positive stuff with negative stuff, but I have a, a very brief comment about how movies tend to treat Crichton's very strong women characters. Um, One strong instance is they changed two of the female characters from the book to male characters in this movie. Oh, they did? Yep. 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 Again, I haven't read it in a while. So, um, well, besides that, because uh, I'm, I'm also remembering... So it's not just dogging this movie. I'm also remembering like Jurassic Park and I'm and Lost World. Um, he usually writes in a young, athletic, knowledgeable, independent, and somewhat sassy woman into his mm-hmm. books. And inevitably, even if they keep some of those qualities, most of those qualities, they end up being inept, and they end up needing not just needing a man because I'm. I, I, in context, that doesn't bother me. But um, so often, these characters just... That's why I, I put in there in the summary at some point that she and Paul Walker weep. Because she's so weepy. I literally paused the movie. Nick didn't watch the whole thing with me, but he did watch that part. And I paused the movie and went off for about 10 minutes about how much I hated her right now. Because she, she is very knowledgeable and and potentially strong, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a person. And she just falls apart. And I, I turned to him. I said, you know, it's it's really, this bothers me as that kind of woman. Um, the way women characters are often treated in vulnerable moments. They, they, they do sort of shift back to a particular stereotype, if only in those vulnerable moments. Sometimes they, I mean, a lot of times they get the strength right and they get the sassy right. They get the knowledge right. Um, 
a lot of times they're saving their dudes, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah. But then there's these moments that come up that they just like completely shift. And I'm like, it's, it's like you don't know how an independent woman handles vulnerability. Um, because Typically we're not all they the same. Bottle it and put on a strong Well, it's face. important to point out, I think almost all, if not all of the instances you're referring to, these are, they're written by men. So they probably that really doesn't... truly, but they probably really truly don't know how to write. No, it, vulnerable you women. don't you don't have to be a woman to write a woman. You have to be a good writer to write either gender. Sure. But I don't think it hurts. Uh, I don't know, because honestly, if I had to write a different kind of woman than me, I would probably do a really bad job because I don't understand women who aren't like me very well. Mm. I understand dudes better, actually. So me writing dudes and writing women like me would come out better than me writing a woman that is girly and i'm not going to go into all of that because it's going to sound derogatory and i don't mean it to be but they're just not like me and i don't mm -hmm. understand a lot of kind of different women than me um so eh, as as yeah. a writer my my main beef when when that said um from either gender um is just you you need to know how to write both it, it's just called human behavior psychology whatever I you want to call it you. i think well, I, we're probably getting a little off topic. I just think of course, there's of course. a lot of male writers that probably don't even try is really the point I think I'm making. I think that's so derogatory. I hope they do. I mean, yeah, we don't have to go on about it anymore. But yeah, but as, yeah. Much as, as much as I would love to not talk about this movie and talk about this topic. This is awesome. <laughs> um, let's get back to something we'll exciting move on. like timeline. I, I, we'll I, move I would on. like to, to ask if I can ask a few questions because I, I noticed during the summary, we all kind of took a few different things or caught a few different things that the other ones did. And there were some things that I, I did not understand. And I wasn't sure if it wasn't addressed or, and I miss, or if I missed it. So, okay. Uh, um, uh, let, let me, let me hit the big ones. So in the movie, the, but not in the book, they have only six hours of this time travel. Did they say what happened to them? Because when they describe how they yes, knew, they said they do. there was an I, apple and it just came back. Were they not just going to come back in that six hours? Because that can't be true because Professor Dad didn't come back. And he was gone for more than six hours. Right. Uh, the markers are how they get back. Um, I know this. I, I, I don't want to dwell too much on this was what happened in the book, blah, blah, blah. But in the movie, they make it out that they've they basically inadvertently – established a very specific wormhole to a certain place in time. And it's my understanding that the six hour mark is when that wormhole naturally closes. Like they can only keep a stable connection for so long. Is but Tony, you're right. You're, you're right. They initially say that whatever they tried to transport across the country just sort of came back on its own. If I remember correctly, like I mean, six hours. Was it they, tried to, they tried to teleport. I don't know about six hours from like California to New York yeah. and it didn't show up in New York, but six hours later it showed back up in um, their lab, California or where, and, New yeah. Mexico, wherever the hell they and were. And then it's never explained when the beginning, that guy who's running in the desert in medieval garb, they say they don't know why he ended up in the desert. And it, it, because by all accounts explained. he should have ended up back in the lab, but he ends up in the desert with a bunch of trans. They, I remember they do have a line of dialogue about how the the markers they have require forty feet of clearance on each side, which I mean, okay, sure, whatever. Yeah, and they because one of them says, well, maybe he didn't have enough clearance, which okay, we can say uh, whatever. What does that do? Right 
Who good knows? Catch. Well, None apparently it, it sends you sense. to New Mexico, but well, they were in New Mexico, but sends you out to the you, desert. Is that how you desert. got to New Mexico, Tony? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have enough clearance when I hit my marker. Oh man, <laughs> I, just, I knew something. Ah, no, I'm happy here. <laughs> uh, you're right. That all of the it's funny because part of what I love about the book is it makes all the science feel so clear to you when you're reading it. Mm-hmm. The movie is the polar opposite. None of the science makes any sense at all. Yeah. It, it's ri- absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, so I agree. my next question, and I could probably stop on this one. I've got a bunch, but I think we've, we'll talk about the rest organically. Greek fire is what uh, Professor Dad promises the English. Is that napalm? And if so, how does an archaeologist know how to make it? I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it's napalm. I know it's a real thing. Okay. Um, that's true. So may- and he would know he how to make it that? because he's an historian, and it's an important okay. part of history when that was invented. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it. I needed something there because I was just – they talk about it a bit, and I was like – by all I accounts, w- it's described like napalm. You know, like water makes it worse. It, it just burns on its own. I will, it, I will say I made a note here that one of my one of my many, many, many problems with this movie is they didn't – they should have established the whole uh, Greek fire thing like in Act One, so that when we got to Greek fire in Act Two and a half or whatever, it would have felt just more um, satisfying. Maybe it just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. It's because it's not important. There's so much that that's what I meant by emphasis. Like they just they mm-hmm. have their emphasis wrong on a lot of things. It's not terribly mm-hmm. important that Greek fire is a part of this movie. No, it's but if it's true. going to be a part of the movie, it should have been introduced some way in act one like so people knew what it gun, was introduce the gun in act one right yeah but is it really yeah anyway or, or just how yeah. he knew how to make it even or just his knowledge of chemistry or whatever that's what i'm and saying like it, it could have been a conversation between him and surfer son or it could have been All i mean right. it, it could have there's a way to put it in is what i'm saying yeah right we're that, right. that maybe think about that and save it for the fix. Really, what, that um, one thing would have fixed the whole movie. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Done. That's a wrap, y'all. <laughs> All right. Jess, what fell flat for you in this movie? And if you can, you know, just give us all of it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't hold back. What fell flat? Yeah, it um, just did not work. You've already touched on a lot of it, I feel like. I know, right? Uh, well, the beginning, the middle, and the end. <clears throat> Pretty much, pretty much. I, I, uh, okay. I have to like collect my thoughts on the fly, and there's a lot of thoughts to collect on this movie. Do you want, so, do you want one of us to go first? Um, no, no. Just, just give me a second. Just give me a second, because right. I'm, on, I'm audience. sort this of is a genius. Give her time to work. <laughs> genius. Um, I am sort of thinking of this when even from the you know what falls flat. And also the fix. I'm not going to do the fix right now, but what falls flat. I, I am looking at this a lot from a screenwriting perspective. So um, not just audience, what did I like, what did I not like, you know, that audience experience. But I'm starting to, to get into more screenwritery type stuff um, at this point when, when you ask me that kind of question. And I, I think what really, really fell flat for me out of all of the negative stuff we've already mentioned, something that I noticed when I went to summarize everything is that second act that I was mentioning, the constant, we're going to get away and then we're going to get captured and then we're going to get away and then we're going to get captured. Um, That there was no, when I stopped at the midpoint, um, 
I should have been stopping on something really major around something really major. Mm-hmm. And that whole, like literally the second act is flat to me. Like if I envision, um, a lot of times I envision screenwriting as music, uh, especially just from a frequency standpoint. Uh, so there's ups and downs there. There's loud, there's soft, there's, uh, there's all of that. And the second act especially has a lot of curves. There's a lot of, a lot of ups and downs and there was just none. So it's literally flat as far as your question goes, um, that it, not only that, but the ups and downs they tried to build in were the same ups and downs constantly. Um, and they weren't even that big of ups and downs. Again, it, it was still pretty flat. So if I, if I had to kind of boil it down, I would say that second act is just killer. Like, to the movie, it kills it. Um, by, by not having any curves. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I just want to, I don't want to get into it too much because I think we're going to really talk about this a lot more in a minute, but the thing that kind of fell flattest to me, uh, besides Paul Walker's entire performance, uh, was the kind of lack of a good villain. There's, there's sort of, there's Mm. too many characters in this movie and there's really, there's no more characters than there are in the book, but the book has a lot more time to like flesh out these characters better. This had it felt like it had four different villains, none of which got developed enough for you to really who, hate. Who were the four? Well, I'm, I'm just picking a number, but like oh, Decker okay. for sure. Uh, oh. David Thewlis's character for sure. Yeah. Um, Michael Sheen's character was sort of a villain. You know, wait, just wait. like. Doniger yes. was the villain, the corporate villain who yes. was, yes, underdeveloped. Decker was the guy left back in the past who's now kind of bitter villain. And what's funny is he doesn't, you see him a lot, but he doesn't speak until like well over halfway into the movie. I made a note. He mm-hmm. doesn't really speak until, it's like 55 minutes into the movie. Right. Which is a okay, shame so because point. he's such a cool concept of a villain. This guy left mm-hmm. in time, right? And mm-hmm. they so mishandle the introduction of him he, he doesn't seem menacing or anything. Like Again, I don't want to get too into it yet, but if we're talking and about things there's that the failed English in the leader, movie. Oliver, and I think, Jess, you would argue Gordon is the next villain, though I would argue he's not. We might have different opinions on that. Who? Gordon. Which one was Gordon? Gordon, uh, uh, Fixer. Sorry, you're oh. Fixer. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. It's funny. In the book, I think he's more yeah. the villain than he is in the movie. Again, the, the my point yeah. is for sure that there's no real... There's no, I mean, you can have multiple villains in a movie that's been done before well, but in this movie, it just kind of felt so scattered and nobody felt like terribly menacing. Really, the the biggest antagonist in the movie was like situational. It was like yes. get, mm-hmm. finding Professor Dad, getting 40 feet of clearance because that's important and getting back home, getting the in machine put back together. At no point yeah. did any villain feel terribly menacing and that, that would have alone, I think, made the movie feel more satisfying i agree okay yeah um so what about you anything that fell fell flat for you yeah one okay so one thing you guys haven't mentioned at all and this isn't story related and this is one of the first times i've talked about this the production value of this movie is terrible for Um, an 80 million dollar budget 2003 And I'm not even talking like CGI effects because what was there for that? I'm talking um, like the blood and like you got knights fighting and people getting stabbed a lot. The blood and violence looked 
horrible. The costumes, I mean, they talk about in the book, I'm sorry I'm doing this, like how like specific the costumes were. These look like they, these looked worse than the costumes from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Which I was going to say they look like Renaissance fair costumes, but that's terribly insulting to Renaissance fair people. Well, but it's actually not untrue because a lot of the extras were Ren fair people and SCA people that were called in to do this. In fact, they're reenactors. Yeah, reenactors. One of the oopses was is that because some of this was filmed in Ontario, some of the floors and symbols on the French army was actually Ontario, like not Ontario, uh, Quebec, where Quebec. Uh, symbols and so they, they didn't even try and get the symbols right on the gear the time machine I, I already said I didn't like the effects all of the combat looked worse than like a medieval dinner show and those are which mm. is mean to medieval dinner shows they try but this combat looked like they didn't try and finally and there's a reason for this but I won't go into it now the music was just distracting and it did mm. not it, it was probably the right, I wouldn't say it was the wrong type of music, but it was just used very poorly. It's and interesting it was, you say that because in doing a little bit of research before this episode, uh, one of the articles I landed on was like top 12 movie soundtracks from terrible movies. And somebody was making a case for how great this movie soundtrack was. And mm-hmm. I was just like, man, I found it terribly forgettable. Well, okay. So I wasn't going to go into it here, but maybe now is a good time is that the original score, the movie had to be recut three times, and the original artist, unfortunately, couldn't come back to keep rescoring it to fit the movie, so they had to bring in another person last minute. Yes. And, mm. I, and it shows. To me, it shows. I mean... Yeah, the, the, studio, thing. The, the studio made Donner recut it three times. He mm-hmm. progressively just got more and more just not okay with the studio, and I can't remember the original composer was somebody of note. Do you remember who it was, Tone? Uh, hang on, I've got it in my notes. But you're right; he had to redo the score twice, and then by the third time, he had moved on to work on Looney Tunes back oh, in action. Right. And they yeah. had to bring in some rando, Brian something another, if I remember correctly, to do the mm-hmm. final, 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 final score. And he, yeah, it, and nothing against this guy. He was apparently trying to keep it as true to the original score, but it just it, so much fell apart in this movie, and that was definitely part of it. I didn't uh, hmm. write down the guy's name. I'm sorry, but uh, real quick, other things that fell flat. Um, we've already talked about Francis O'Connor and Paul Walker, but one of the things about Paul Walker's character specifically, and I, I wrote this down thinking it sums him up, is he feels like a nameless protagonist in a video game. Uh, and, you know, in in a world, say, like, like if you play, like, a Skyrim or something where you desi- design the character and give it a name, and so the game literally doesn't even address, like, any sort of personality or feeling of your character. I feel like he's the bland, you know, dusty-haired, blue-eyed, white male pr- video game protagonist that walks, through, walks you through the world that, in this case, wasn't so great, but it just, I think that was, like, really my problem with him in this movie specifically, is he didn't do anything yeah i i mean ciphers are, are normally better than that nick's a huge fan of ciphers and that's exactly what you're talking about is kind of um people you sort of look through their eyes but that that they're it's almost like trying to give you a pure experience or something um mm-hmm. by not tainting it with that character too much but that yeah paul walker wasn't even a good cipher 
No, he really was yeah. not. I he, I like the, your your description of a cipher though, because had they done that well and made him your like lens, I think it could have worked. It could have mm-hmm. been a really neat thing, but they did not do it well. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a good potential fix. Now I have a, like a jillion things written down that I just did not like in this movie, but <laughs> we're we're already going long, and I don't. I just I don't want to list them all. It just feels it it feels too disheartening. Just trust me. You. If we didn't get to that thing you like, audience, please list it. I probably wrote it down. Right. Um, but Matt, Real you quick, were talking about before we move into fixes. I, I mm-hmm. know you really wanted this movie specifically had some really terrible dialogue. Um, do we want to just go round yes. robin real quick? And <laughs> I've got I've got two lines that I thought were really awful enough that I wanted to mention. I'm sure you guys have even more. Um, Jess, did you have yeah, a memorable? Oh, I'll go first then. I'll go first. Um, yeah. When when uh, lame girl Kate, as we're calling her, really like boisterously said, "What do we look like, quantum wormhole specialists?" I was like, "Wah wah." <laughs> <laughs> And then I got to say, she had my second one as well. There's a point where they actually find, um, oh, goodness, they find Professor Dad, right? They find Billy Connolly. And she just really matter of factly said, that's your dad. And I like I like I literally paused it and yelled at the screen. and I said, no shit. He knows. Everyone can see. It was like some of the dialogue felt like the writer was trying to write. Uh, direction, you know, and yeah. accidentally thought it was dialogue. Yeah. But those are my two. Those are my two just amazing Academy Award winning lines of dialogue. A similar oh, one just... to that, hey, here's your dad mm-hmm. line is actually Billy Connolly later, unfortunately, because I really like him. But towards the end of the movie, when he's like, oh, Chris, you're alive. Oh, and Kate, you're alive too. I'm just like, really? Really? They got over their, their alleged death really fast right. in that movie. Did you notice and, that? And also, I'm alive. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he was a little distracted by yeah. trying to stay alive. And being with the fixer, that's just not a good place to be. But, um, but yeah, no, his reading of that. And then my, my other one would have been Neil McDonough, who, again, I normally like, but... <laughs> It was it was right at the beginning. The French guy who we don't even talk about, and I love Francois for the two seconds they give him. I think the problem um, is he's so like, like flatline. He's he's okay. Oh, yeah. He's not bad. He's he's not bad. So we haven't talked about him. <laughs> yeah, he's he is a non-entity with a heart. Um, oh. But. <laughs> I liked Francois by the end, but he's really well, flipping out, you know, of course, being attacked by the English as soon as they get there. And sure. he, st- he immediately goes for his marker. And He had a heart um, until I got impaled, by the way. Well, <laughs> yes, there's that. Um, <laughs> but Neil McDonough, like, slams him up against a tree and is like, don't do that. And I don't I don't think it's even Francois who says it. It may be Kate because she really is. She has all the bad lines. She's like, Why? Mm. And he says, he says, don't squeeze it. She goes, why? Because we haven't found his dad yet. And I'm like, so we're stating the obvious. Okay, I really, that I think that's Kate. I think that's another Kate line. I think that's another Kate line. She just so, has, she has some of the worst lines in this whole movie. Oh. Yeah, but no, I mean, she only asks why. Neil McDonough is the one who answers because we haven't found his dad yet. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So oh, it's, and it was like, he tried to say it seriously. Like if he had put some sarcasm in there, it's like because we haven't found his dad yet, you know, or something. We need just a little more powder, Captain. <laughs> just a little something <laughs> on it, you know. Um, 
But no, he said it really seriously. And I'm like, that is really bad writing. Okay. So, Tony, what was yours? Oh, no. I've got to do my Kate ones first now because you just, <laughs> you just set me up. So my, my, the best Kate one, best worst line that I think she did, there's a lot of people screaming over each other in this movie when they argue. Like, not it's, it's bad. It's, it's actually distracting. But the best one was when they're trying to decide who's going to climb up on the roof, the thatch roof, and climb down. And while they're all yelling at each other, she just keeps screaming, I'm the best climber! I'm the best climber! I'm the best climber! <laughs> and I, I felt conflicted on this. On the one hand, I know in the books, her skill is she's the spelunker. She goes into the caves. In fact, she fights this one big knight dude, actually one of the villains that we've mentioned, on these rafters of a building later. Like it's one of the most memorable scenes in the, books. in the book. It's a kick-ass fight. And mm. she like wins because he could kill her in any other instance. But she's got the balance and she throws him off and she like stabs a knife through his hand and he falls and he's hanging by the... Oh, it's so good. Isn't there a but, fire no. below them too? Isn't it very... Oh, yeah, like, totally. Like, building's burning scar. down. Yeah. It's awesome. I just... I cannot set up how awesome this scene is and I cannot understand why it's not in the movie. They could have just plugged it in there because it's cool but but she just keeps screaming i'm the best climber i'm the best climber i'm the best climber. and all i could think of is again if this were a DD game everybody's thinking about who's got to go try and do this test and she's screaming that her skills in climbing are the highest so yeah. she she's which which she rolls a one right out the gate slides down the, <laughs> the thatch roof and paul walker has to like reach through the straw to grab her but you know <sighs> that, that'd, that'd be if i were playing her Anyway, uh, her other line, so they find out, we talk about, they find the sarcophagus, they realize it's Merrick, and it says, like, died in 1357 or something like that. And then she goes, born in 1971. And I was just like, oh. I, I, I about, if I had had any, like, real food in me, I would have thrown up right there. It was just Why? Because it's so dumb. <laughs> why, why did she need to say that? She's just around her friends. It's not like anybody didn't know. Mm. I Ugh. wish one of them had said, you know what? She's right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. But so, so my favorite trolling lines are, uh, so we keep talking about how they don't go into the technology well enough. Well, at one point when they were really trying to explain the technology and doing it badly, Paul Walker just sh- chimes in. I don't care about the hows or the whys. I just want to save my dad. And I was like, Really? God, it feels like right. the movie doesn't care about line. the hells or the whys. I remember then that line. The... I should have wrote it down. That was a terrible yeah. one. Oh, no. This the, this next one's better. So after that, they go through time. Paul Walker, again, I, I wonder if he's, again, I don't think he knew he was in a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, he because they, they're like, is it? Do it work? Do we go back in time? And he's like, are we in 1357 France? Because this could be my parents' home in Oregon for all I know. Oh, that whole and thing where like, they land and they're talking over each other. It's one of those scenes where they're talking yeah, over each other. Where he does it. And he does that. Every, and if you look around, there's nothing about this that says 1357 France. It's just the woods. And I was like, right? Are yeah. you filming this in Oregon? Is somebody trolling He's not wrong. Right yeah. They no, all have had, inane lines at that point. Like, I, I had the, the, I always have subtitles on and everything just so I can see stuff. And uh, yes. they all have inane lines. And they just, they're bickering like a, like a bunch of little kids. Oh, it's, it's so horrible. bad. See, he should have said something about this could be my grandparents' farm in Canada. At least it would have been like a meta joke at that point. Right? No, the next one he does is, so they're they're freaking out. They, this is like one of the first times they've escaped, and they're freaking about what they're going to do next. And he's like, look, we have over 650 years of knowledge on these guys. 
And I'm just like, seriously, the guy who has no expertise and no skills is talking about the math of how much further they are into the, it just made, it's just such a wrong. And My favorite thing part about that line is he was really quiet up until that. So I, I like to think that the character had really been doing the math for a little while and was like, he finally figured his joke out. And you know, someone could have been like, how long you've been sitting on that joke. <laughs> There's a line that the villain says, the, the villain that Merrick fights, the one that's from the future but stuck in the past. Decker. And he's, he's talking about how this, the whole movie is like, this is my life now. This is me. At, at his dying line is he like leans into Merrick and goes, take me home, please. And then just dies. And I'm like, which Merrick doesn't do, by the way, because he's staying. And I'm just like, wait, why? That's that true. His last words? <laughs> I forgot I just, about that. I just oh. didn't understand. Talk about it. Not, it was unnecessary and it made no sense. I was just like, what? I mean, one could theorize that it was the writer attempting to make the villain more like accessible, whatever. But you're right. It doesn't work this at all. Song. And of course, America's assumed... just like, okay, no. <laughs> yeah, no. do that. I just assumed that. I actually, I when he said that that line, I was kind of like, oh, because I just assumed when he's because he's the one who tells us about the transcription errors. So I'm like, as much as he's put it, you know, he's he's saying all this stuff about I've made my choice and I'm here and I'm being I'm going to be English and I am this guy now. Honestly, I think it's just one giant front. I think he's trying uh... to, you know, and so in the end when he's like, well, transcription errors aren't going to kill me. You know, he's like, please take me like, home because he's he be buried all... back home. And all, oh, yeah, exactly. I assumed that's what he meant. Right. Oh, but I didn't the, think about that like, till right like, now. Take my body yeah. back, Harry. Take my body yeah. back. That yeah. makes it so much sadder that he says it to the one guy who's going to stay. Who doesn't? Right. Yeah, no. That's why I was like, oh my gosh. Oh I didn't my God, even did we all just have a feeling about, about this movie? <laughs> oh my God. That's that crazy. Discussed. We did it. We had a feeling, guys. I'm so I, I haven't said my favorite line yet, though. Hang on. So, Gordon, Mr. Fixer, and this is around the. Is, is, just had enough, right? Uh-huh. And so Paul, like, they just traveled through time. Every, they just got through the first kerfuffle, and everybody's uh-huh. freaking out. And Paul Walker's yelling at him and yelling at him about finding his dad and all that. And I feel like at this point, Neil McDonough was just like, Paul Walker doesn't know he's in a movie. I've just got to, like, reach him on a Paul Walker level. And he just, he grabs him and goes, look, dude. <laughs> and I had to just... <laughs> And it was just the way he said it. He's like, look, dude. And it's just, uh, it's not as, I guess you have to see it. But I just, I can't stop laughing. I hear it in my head. And it just cracks me up. Because I just imagine Neil McDonough going, look, dude. Like, he's just talking to Paul Walker right now. Because <laughs> uh, he has that, he, he, he just slightly goes into a bro voice when he goes, dude. Right. <laughs> Which right. is not his character. See, there, there's a lot. I thought you were going to say a different line where oh, they're they're yours? they're escaping. They're getting through the you know they're sneaking through the town or whatever. One of the and they've saved times. the they've saved the yeah exactly they've saved the professor, and uh again Paul Walker's yelling at him about something, and he turns to me and goes, "Look, it was my mission to save the professor. I've saved the professor. Now if you guys don't want to come with me, that's your problem. I'm going home." Like, and it wasn't even, I just, that made more sense, well, not more sense than what he said, but what he said was even more sort of modern day than that. I I don't know how to put it. Like, it was very matter of fact and not professional. Like, if he's a professional, soldiery, right-hand man kind of guy, 
that's not how they talk. And he just, it's like that. That's why, like, where in that moment he just slips out of character and he's just like, I'm getting out of here. I don't know about you guys. If you want to follow me, you can. And he I think just, we have different takes on what his character was because I didn't mm. see him as the right-hand man. I just saw him as the company man, meaning he's working for a paycheck and he only, is only going to risk so much. He's going to do what he's supposed to. He's going to get out. He, and he has no emotional attachment to anybody else. He just well, met no. Them. No. And they are being really dumb. Like, they're all upset that he wants to leave when Merrick ran off. But I'm Merrick not blaming him for off. saying it. I'm not blaming him for saying it. It's completely fair, rightful fair. because I would have left them behind, too. A you're, lot you're sooner. You're more talking than that. about the cadence of the like the dialogue, not fitting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm huh. with you there. Okay, I, I guess I was still hung up on look, dude. So he could just talk any way he wants. Look, right. dude. Look, dude. <laughs> Let's move on. We are getting dangerously close to talking about this episode as long as it takes to walk about or to to watch this episode. Um, yeah, I want to get into some fixes, guys. I want to I want to move to some fixes. Yeah, okay. we can. Well, Matt, you've been suggesting some stuff as we've gone along here. Do you have anything kind of concrete you're ready to say should be done i have one big one and it's kind of weird so you're gonna have to bear with me here but i think it would and i want to be clear i don't think we can make this movie a 98 percent on rotten tomatoes i don't know if it's that fixable with the materials given to us but i think we can like we've said in previous episodes get this watchable and okay, one time, of my f- time, time yeah. out real quick because of something you just said um so materials given to us does that also mean like cast and all that kind of because I've, I, like I said, I've listened to one of you, one episode of you guys. Sure. But no, I think yeah, we can what, entertain any here? discussion. We can entertain any okay. discussion for sure. I, my okay. personal challenge with these movie fixes is to try and change as little about the final film as okay. possible while getting a better result. And one of my fixes is maybe a little weird and unconventional, but I, I think it's a good one. I think um, Paul Walker, the masterclass actor that he is, may he rest in peace, and Gerard Butler should have switched roles. Hmm. I was thinking about this about halfway through the film, and part of the my problem with the movie is that Paul Walker's kind of positioned in the film as the lead, or like, you know, you talked a little bit ago about uh, him being like the lens, or what was the word you used for it? Cypher. Cypher, uh, right? He's positioned in that role in this cast, and he is completely ineffectual at it at all. Like, he's not good at it. Um, also, I don't feel like he pairs up with Billy Connolly. Like he's not a believable Billy Connolly's son at mm-hmm. all. Um, I think had Gerard Butler had that role to play, had he been Billy Connolly's son, a that would have matched a little bit better. Like I think he's a more believable son, and I mm-hmm. think he could have played this this role, this like kind of non academic, but he's you know kind of fit. And likes weapons, like the that sort of thing, really well. Not non-academic, but academic. Um, I think, I think those roles would have worked really well. Switched. I also think that uh, his chemistry would have worked better with Kate. Like uh, Gerard Butler's chemistry would have worked a lot better. Um, yeah. And I think, I, I don't know. I just think Paul Walker could have been acceptable as Merrick. Whereas he did not, pl- I don't even know what his actual character name is in this movie at this point. Chris. His Chris character w- did not work. The other option, I think, is if they were going to have him play Chris, he should have gone full surfer dude. Like, he would have been like, bro, and like almost played it comedically, and it would have sold the role better. But yeah, I really yeah. like the idea of them switching roles. I think it would have m- hmm. been, because I, th- I mean, I think truthfully, 
uh, Gerard Butler could play either role well. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have seen him in that role. And I just would love to have seen scenes with him and Billy Connolly as father and son. I think those would have worked really well. He would have just held the movie together a little better. Yeah, I think, I I mean, Merrick is one of my favorite characters from the book. So it's mm-hmm. hard for me to cast Paul Walker in that role. But you're right sure. in that he would have had to open his mouth a lot less, potentially. Because Merrick... Mm-hmm. If, if you really built on this, Merrick is sort of the strong, silent type and sure. very knowledgeable about things, but he's not necessarily like Gabby about it. Sure. So, and we've seen Paul Walker in other movies get like ripped, right? Like he could have yeah. played this role, this like strong, silent type that just every so often has to be charming. You yeah. know, he could do yeah. that. Yeah. And he and again, Jarvis could have cared about anything. Claire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think he and Claire would have also paired really nicely with their chemistry. Again, better than him and Kate. Yeah, Francis O'Connor didn't pair well with anybody. No, in this movie. you're 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 not wrong about that. But anyways, that's yeah. my biggest fix. My other fixes okay. involve kind of um, synthesizing—not synthesizing. What's the word I'm looking for? Taking all of these villains and kind of making one or two real villains in the movie. Like, I think it would have been really neat if if the CEO was actually Merrick, if, like, the owner of the company, and they were tasked with everything in the beginning by, like, his right-hand man, his assistant, his whatever, and they didn't find out till later that their real mission was to go back and save the head of the company who's been stuck in the past and, like, make both of those roles one role and a much more menacing one. Hmm. You mean Professor Dad? Not Professor Dad. Oh. No, you know how Decker is stuck in the past? If Decker yes. had been... If Decker oh, 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 and oh, oh, oh. The, the David Thewlis character okay. had been the same character, actually. But we don't know that till later. It's a reveal later in the film. I see. It would have made... It would have, it would have compressed the number of antagonists we have in this movie. And it would have also made for one really good antagonist. Yeah, I think in a way... Lord Oliver, the English guy. I don't remember how this was in the book. And I realize they get captured by the English a lot. And it sort of makes sense. They're not from there and all that mm-hmm. jazz. But if if he would have been less focused on them and more... Fo- like, if, if, if sort of the B-plot of the French versus the English had been a little more understandable to non-history people. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, if they could have established that a little better and refocused his villainy on Arno, the the French guy. I think mm-hmm. that would have helped too. Like uh, talking about refocusing and all that stuff. Um if they had kind of focused him off of the time travelers a little bit. Just a little bit. I have he... something I, I think I think I can work with this because what I'm thinking incorporates both of what you guys have said. Mm-hmm. Um obviously too many villains. We need to focus villains. The the story about the the corporate side of it they don't have to be villains. They can just be sort of sleazy and not have to worry about them. The core villains need to be Oliver and Doniger. And the way I see it is, what if Oliver knew that time travelers were coming? And his goal is actually a bit more focused on them because he wants to try and manipulate them sending more time travelers and getting more information and eventually getting more, potentially more advantages to being able to defeat the French because that's his ultimate goal. Ooh, I like that. He he, so he and he's using he catches wines to Donag- the time travel and wants Donag- to use he's it using, to his advantage. I keep forgetting his name, but the 
The one that is stuck back in time originally, De- left back there. Decker. Just think uh, De- Blade Runner. Thank you, Decker. Yeah, Decker, he, he, he finds out about Decker. He promotes him because Decker helps him, but he knows who he is and where he's from, and he's using Decker and you know other things to try and capture more people from the future. Yeah, I that's cool. I like that idea. It's a I neat little that, like twist. It's I wonder twist. if that messes with things a little too much. Part part of the attraction to the concept for me is the sort of um, this is the version of time travel, and you sort of they find this out and they seem very shocked by it, which is kind of fun. That um, it's the kind of time travel that you see how everything became the way it is in the present. Right. Um, and that can still work because he's going to get killed and he was very kind of mastermindy. So he kept a lot of this information close to the chest. So his yeah. men don't know that they're capturing mm. people from the future. He's playing it all close to the chest. So when he dies, the information goes with him. Hmm. Right. Right. Also, this is not a, like a real historical yeah, event maybe. that happens in this movie. So you, you've got a lot of leeway as to like how we're writing it to line up with stuff in the past affecting the future. Um, a, to me, again, I'm just speaking as a screenwriter, a really easy fix, uh, from a writing, purely writing perspective. Um, and you guys, I mean, what you guys are coming up with is kind of creative fixes, if that makes sense. Like, (laughs) you know, um, thank you. You're no, yeah, totally. Um, whereas again, my mind kind of goes to the foundation of everything just from a script point of view. And, um, I see so much being fixed by pacing and hmm. um, giving the right moments the right explanation. Like, there is so much about this movie that is interesting and that if they just, if they gave enough time to the right moments instead of going through, like, four recaptures in the second act, cut that down mm-hmm. and and give them some time to breathe, give them some time to be creative in their circumstances. Um, and you know, this, this is a two hour movie, which blows my mind. Um, not that you don't feel every minute of it, but it sort of blows my mind that, that, that it feels as rushed as it does in a lot of places. Um, so even if you had to lengthen it out to two and a half hours, just to give everything it to do, um, I think it's totally worth it. You have a lot of really, really cool things to cover. Take your time with the time travel explanation. Like, it's fun to geek out over these things. And there's a lot of creative stuff you can do visually with that. Mm. Um, you know, give some time to the to the archaeology and to the freaking characters. Like, let us spend just a little bit of time with them. Um, if, you're, if you're not going to give them decent scenes. I mean, I completely agree with what you guys said earlier. The couple of scenes that are really actually are really good that both involve Paul Walker, by the way, um, or early on and kind of help establish some of those characters. And, but I want to point out they are early on, but they're not early enough for me. One of my gripes Mm. with this movie is that whole beginning with the dude in the desert and them talking about it's, it's, you don't care about anybody. And it's like 15, 20 minutes long before we finally get to the, yeah, well, I mean, we could have synthesized all of that into some other scene later. I think the movie should have started with that kind of conversation over the sarcophagus with Paul Walker. And I mean, change it up a bit, obviously, because you can't just copy and paste it. But start with our main characters so much earlier in this movie. Let's get to know them much earlier 
before we they branch were, out. They were very obviously, to me anyway, trying to follow a Jurassic Park formula. Yes. They were starting with a really good action-y, hooky, tense moment that, that will you know bring us into the villainy of the of the corporation and what they're doing what they're attempting mm-hmm. and then they go back for these much slower not, not slow in a bad way dig right yeah. they, they go, go back to the, to the dig, dig which is exactly what jurassic park does right and then you know moving on from there uh into the the potential now obviously jurassic park did this part away this is where they start parting ways is mm-hmm. when you when you get to the explanation of the time travel in the corporation everything is so rushed because now the focus is we got to get the dad we got to get the dad and we jurassic did, well, park, we, we everything a, was still slow we needed a mr dna we needed a we dino did. dna video yeah we really did <laughs> and a jeff and, goldblum and, because every bo- and, well, every movie needs jeff goldblum that's a, yes confirmed and Easy matt who else do we need movie. to put in this movie oh my god Octavia Spencer? Like, I don't know, everybody. <laughs> How is this going to be a bit if you don't remember it? I don't remember. What is it? Who do we put into all of our movies? Because who do you need more of in every movie? I don't know. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> who are we talking about? <laughs> I want Jeff right, Goldblum audience, I'm sorry. We were going to try and be clever and always put Anna Kendrick. Oh, wait, Anna Kendrick. Movies, but... Oh, I remembered like, oh. right before you said it. Damn it. You're right. Anna Kendrick would have been a more boon to this movie. Oh, my God. Her Kate would have been so good. Yep. Nice and sassy. Let's and um, brainy. Let's time travel Anna Kendrick back to 2003 to there be in we this go. movie. Well, time she she's only got six hours to everything. Right, she has six hours to reshoot <laughs> this movie, which is you know more than enough. Um, let's I see. feel I should say something in the defense of this of the story. One of the things Michael Crichton uh, sort of like mandated was that they use his script. Which what? I don't know nope, if you ever that's watched. That's not what... true. That's false. He didn't write a script. He's yeah, not he credited. Was, he's, 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 he did he not. Is. Nope. He did not write a screenplay for this. That is false. He's credited for story. I looked it up earlier when we were talking about how bad the writing was. It was two really well. I don't want to say this and two forgettable later, people. But anyway, but it was not Michael yes. Creighton. Yeah, he's credited with story. All right. Uh, or now, novel. How dare you, Sully? His good name. <laughs> no, Matt and I are like, okay. what? No. I'm no, gonna I find that, up and if I, I find that, I'm I gonna honestly, like edit in a bit up, where I like find where I, I got researched that the screenwriters right because I was like, Go "What's it. going on with these guys that don't know what they're doing?" Um, no, Michael Crichton, he wrote the story, obviously, but he did not write the screenplay for this. Or if he wrote a screenplay, they did not use said screenplay. At least not enough to give him credit, and you can. There's a pretty low threshold for that. All right. I found I found the bit. This is from IMDb. You decide what you want from it. Michael Crichton took the unusual step of offering up the film rights for free, provided the movie entered into production immediately. Crichton had the, a back-end deal set up on the basis that his script be used for the film. Ironically, Crichton ended up hating the finished film. And I think he hated it because the very next factoid is that the studio, specifically one person in the studio, uh, sh- one studio had Sherry Lansing, was unhappy and basically had the film sent back twice for recuts. And it just, it really had to do with the explaining of Professor Dad being lost. And they just, they didn't like all of that. So I think that's why that's so I know there was a whole prologue that was in the first two cuts of the movie that did not make the third and final cut of the movie. Right. It just seemed like uh, this thing just got... So if Michael Crichton had a script, they did not ultimately use it because he did not end up with script or screenplay credit for this movie. Which is probably okay. for the best. Oh, and I mean, this is from IMDb. I don't know where they bet this, but that is where I got that information. I did Every single bit of IMDb trivia is written by me when I'm a little drunk at night. <laughs> so, 
take that for what you that think that explains worth. it that explains it all right um any other fixes to this movie i know we've all struggled with this movie being almost unfixable i think we've got some good ideas here though tony have you really like have you guys gone through all your fixes yeah, I had fewer specific ones, and you guys hit most of it. Uh, the one about having Oliver be more aware of time travel, I literally came up with while we were talking. I didn't have much else after that, so it's it's I think, fine. You I guys think just hit you're right, right about notes. pacing being a big issue. I think just sheer number of characters is kind of an mm-hmm. issue for me. We could have trimmed down some characters so that we could spend more time with the characters we're supposed to, you know, care about. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that would be an, a, a big fix for this one. Yeah. If they could just change the whole wormhole theory into something more palatable for sciencey people, that would be really nice for me. Well, uh, a really quick one, and possibly too general, I'm not really sure, but the, the scene that we keep going back to um, with Gerard Butler and Paul Walker over the sarcophagus, and where they're talking about the past versus the future, and you know Gerard Butler's being very romantic and you know any anybody would swoon over him um over talking about the romance of history right um i thought i thought that was going somewhere and not just like plot wise but there Mm. was uh, something that i i love about movies in general are just the theme like what's your underlying subtextual theme and yeah i'm actually going to talk about subtext in a really crap movie this had potential for subtext um it had potential because if if they had established characters better um surfer son chris uh his character is supposed to be kind of aimless and uh, billy Connolly hints at that you know like you're not really thinking ahead and whatever um he's supposed to be very aimless and kind of all over the world and flighty and whatever and he's the one who's kind of talking i don't think he should be talking about the future i think he should be talking about the present but with merrick talking about the past and how beautiful it is and how much it teaches us and everything else Mm. um there was such potential to to really write scenes speaking to that theme. Yeah. And this movie would have been amazing. You, also, you touch on something here that I hadn't thought about till right this second. They do kind of bill Paul Walker's character, Chris, right? Chris? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? yes. As <laughs> yes. this like world traveler who's been to all these places in the world and all that. It would have been neat if that came into play at some point. Yeah. You know? Like if, yeah. if that, that would have been his skill set, if anything. Yeah. And they just, they made n- such little use of his character. And I know we've done this a lot, but in the book, he wasn't, he, I think Tony, you and I were talking about this. Wasn't he like an English major and he was the one that like knew Latin and like he had a purpose in this. And like that, that's how they communicated because both the French and English knew Latin and neither of yeah, them spoke good. French or English like we know it now. So. Right. That was so the yeah, only way to communicate. They, and so they, he huh. they completely asked what his, you know, I feel like we've talked about a few things here. He could have been a language, you know, uh-huh. adept person. Bridge. You know, he could have been a, a climber. He, you know, it could have been a, just a world traveler that has experience with all sorts of different cultures. And there's mm-hmm. all these things they could have done to make his character make sense in the movie as more than just, I'm just here to find my father guys. Yeah, that was getting really tired. And I, I want him to care about his dad. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it was getting really tired. Yeah. yeah. Jess, can I build on something that you were talking about with the themes and connecting things and that specific scene you talk about where they're talking about history Yeah. Uh, and its importance? 
I think the comparison of why history is important is that, you know, we need that because we're not that different. You know, like history, you know, the people from then and the, us from us now, we think, oh, we know so much more than them. Hence the line. We've got 650 years of knowledge. What if that was like an arrogance, which it kind of was? But what if they played that up? What if we yeah. saw connections between Oliver and Doniger, the, you know, the corporate future owner? What Boom. if, you know, there's this whole surprise that a lot of the things that, you know, they deal with in that time are still relatable today. And that's like really played up on more and, and yep. hit like, oh, you think the past is pointless, Paul Walker, but really, it's the only way you learn. Right. I like that. Well, and Draw I think some parallels. I'm into it. I think part of the 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 point again from the book um the tunnel that they mention i mean that tunnel predated that battle that was the point um Mm -hmm. and nobody knew about it which was the other point and so i think um you know again just another connection uh you know give give oliver a line where he he has studied history or something like again someone respecting the past and knowing mm. that there's a tunnel or something to that effect, like bringing that in, um, because that even in the past is history. Um, mm-hmm. So even they could have some some history to respect in in the in regards to the tunnel. So it's so a very you're small thing, but knowing the past before 13th or 14th century France helped save them in 14th century France. Right, right. Boom. Um, That's the the, movie. the characters that were there. You know mm-hmm. that that would have been important to them. If they had, you know, depending on who had that information, if so, if one of them didn't care anything about the the past but cared everything about the future and their conquering Oliver, he didn't know about mm-hmm. the tunnel. Or no, you know, if he had if he had paid attention and you see some respect out of his character for the past, that's how he knows about the tunnel. And then he sticks close to the monastery. Who knows? But he's obsessed with the future and the future time travels in our fix, just like Doniger would be about the future of his business with this new technology. There Not you go. See, We're that's a it, solid 98% movie. You got to pay attention to the subtext, man. That's what makes a 98% right there. I think you saved it. All right. Well, with that said, you guys, let's let's make our pitch. Tony, you usually do this because I think you're better at it. But Jess, if you think you've got it, I'm down for that nope. as well. Nope. Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> okay. Uh, shoot. Don't have anything written for this one, so it's going to be off the cuff. I apologize. So what we've decided is... Yes, time travel is a thing we accidentally stumbled onto. Yes, it sends us back into 14th century France. But the the corporate owner, I think, what is it, ITC or ITS of the company, he's, he's greedy, sleazy, but he's not like people die and he's going to cover it up. So he's not really relevant once they go back in time to save dad. When they get there, they figure out, one, they don't know half as much as they thought they did. Things are really different. That's actually a little bit from the book, too. And two, the villain of the piece, Oliver, knows about them and is expecting not necessarily them, but some version of them, thanks to Decker, and wants to capture them just like they've captured uh, Surfer Boy's father, Surfer Son's father, because Surfer Son's father is giving them Greek fire. That's pretty valuable. What are these other people going to know? What can they tell me? You know, I want to conquer. We've decided that, you know, while the American Claire romance is amazing, that bit in the, the, the river where they're floating around is just adorable. And I'll rewind that part a few times and just get kissy, you know, kissy eyes. But but uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, focus, focus. 
instead of getting captured over and over again, maybe they run into some trouble, but then they kind of find some downtime to get creative about their own circumstances, utilizing their knowledge of the past and the past even beyond the current timeline they're in. Worked in the movie name there. Mm. So we can then, I think, roll pretty much how it goes for the most part. The French attack, the, the battle plays out as it is. They provide the necessary uh, sabotage and subterfuge to trounce Oliver because in his arrogance, he thinks that the future is all the power. And it's not. They can get back except for Merrick because, you know, Claire, you know, who doesn't want a redheaded French woman? I mean, I prefer Irish, but whatever. And they go back. And instead of Doniger just like accidentally getting trapped in the time machine and coming right back into the past, right where they were about to get chopped up and he gets chopped up instead. And there's that weird thing that flits past the screen that I didn't understand. And instead of all of that, they just they bring him down. You know, they're, they're going to bring him down. They're going to attack him in the present now and expose him and, you know, could lead way for a potential sequel. But it doesn't have to be resolved, I don't think. I think just the fact that that things are going to change and that they're more aware. And we could even end with most of that scene where they find the sarcophagus and they're like, oh, that's our friend. Wow, you, th you think we would have, like, dug up the rest of the sarcophagus sooner and actually read the name on it. But nope, we waited till now. Yay. <laughs> and, Born in and 1970. We can, we can pan down to the sarcophagus where the they're hold where, where Surfer Boy and Lane Girl are holding hands and then do the nice dissolve into the sunset, which made me gag. But, you know, it was it was all right. I think I was just sick of right. the movie by that point. The only thing I would add or amend yes. or whatever to that pitch is I really liked, uh, in addition to everything you just said, uh, I really liked Matt's suggestion for combining villains. And so the one of the people in the past would be uh, Doniger, Doniger, whatever his name is. Uh, instead of Decker, Com okay. combining Decker and Doniger. Um, and that kind of gets gets rid of the sort of awkwardness of the present. Like, what do we do with this bad guy? Um, I think he would be addressed in the past very well. So I, I like that as well. He could have like his own subterfuge, like reason for wanting to be there, his own reason to profit. I liked the idea of him just being obsessed with time travel. And that obsession, that obsession is why he's gone back multiple times and he's developed transcription errors and he's losing his mind and he's just obsessed with getting it figured out and doing whatever. Because being That's... obsessed with time travel is totally a legit thing. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. And, and right. also the bottom line, you know, keep him slimy, keep him greedy. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds like a much better movie. Guys, we did Ooh. it. We, we, we 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 did a fix. Do we feel like it's a lot better or just like marginally better? <laughs> I, I would say we can get a fifty percent on what was the Rotten Tomato score? Did you look? Eleven. What one <sighs> one. Eleven percent. I'm telling you, Which, man, with some of these fixes, I I do think you could get things. I think you could get seventy or above. Yeah, I personally. think we could get in the like sixties, seventies for sure with this fix. Yeah, yeah I was gonna yeah. be conservative and say we get like sixty. All right, I think we landed at 68%, guys. There we uh, go. Right. <laughs> can't, can't wait to, to not have to make this movie. Though I would be intrigued <laughs> to see someone try and reboot it at some point. Honestly, oh. I would love, with the right screenwriter and the right team, I, I, would, I would take a stab at, at making a movie out of this. I think it'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Um, final thoughts, guys. What, what did you think of, of this whole experience? 
uh, I the hated having the to podcast it. or the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the the whole thing, the having to watch the movie again, having to like critically think about the movie and pay attention and try and fix the movie. I know Tony, you said you were frustrated yesterday with I don't even know if I want to fix this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did not enjoy the watching. I did not enjoy the critical thinking as much. I have to say I've had so much fun with you two and this does remind me again why I do this podcast because if not we'd just be doing it anyway. Sure, uh, you absolutely. Two, Jess especially having you here uh, really made this not only bearable but like a good time. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice for him to not have to just deal with me for once, right? (laughs) Yes. (sighs) You guys always need a buffer. It's all good. It definitely Um, is more fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed um, being made to think critically about this. And I really, really enjoyed as much as we mentioned the book and everyone in the audience should go read that book. I really enjoy that we kind of came up with fixes um, not necessarily based completely on the book. So, right, because yes. it's so easy to Kudos just say, to make it more like the book, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but I like the challenge of trying to like just work with what we already had and how yeah. we can put it together. And I think we did a There's good some... job. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Tone, you wanna, do you want to tell them what we're doing next week? <laughs> oh, boy. So this next episode is going to be our last episode for a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of a breather after this. So we thought we should end on something a bit epic. <laughs> something I have a very that skeptical I have... look on my face right now. I'm scared. I can't scared. believe we're doing this. Uh, so, okay, early, so... so early in the lifetime of this show. No, we're... but it needed to happen because our other option is too relevant. I like to kind of let these things run their course before we attack attack them so what what is it what is it i'm in suspense so we are doing a movie that i am (laughs) i'm actually probably more upset about than timeline if not we are doing the very first in a series of three prequels and that is star wars the phantom menace so many oh people have tried God. to fix that I movie. Wish, Why would you try? I wish in well, this moment we were thing. a video podcast am... because you guys should have seen Jess's face when <laughs> Tony said that. <laughs> she looked like she just watched a kid get hit by a train. Just like, no, <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> Why I mean, would you do that fixers. to yourself? We're going to be for real about this. We we can't hide from the from the hard stuff. And, and I have a lot of feelings on this. All of you upset at The Last Jedi... It's like you were born after this movie came out or something, this Phantom Menace, <laughs> that, that all of your anger should have been dumped into. But well, hey, we need to get me... onto that in, in, in another, in the next episode. If, I can't get, uh, okay. Let me, let me just say, let me just say, good luck to you guys on that. And, and I have hope. I, again, a lot of people have tried to fix that a new movie, hope? but I feel I'm, like, oh, there's the joke. Ayo, ayo, there we go. But I, I feel like people have reached outside of the movie for a lot of ideas. And I like the idea the movie fixers are going to come to the rescue by kind of taking, you know, what you have. I have a theory. And you're going to make it awesome. I have a theory okay. that this movie, that Phantom Menace is going to be more fixable than Timeline. I hope you're I right. don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Because there's some obviously like super big problems with Phantom Menace that we are not going to get into sure. right now because that's a different sure, episode. Sure, sure, sure. But, but there's some good stuff too. There's some good stuff there that yeah, I think... Yeah. 
I think we could edit down Phantom Menace into a really strong 22 minute short film. <laughs> I think that's but already been meantime, done. <laughs> let's let let's save that sinkhole for another day. I think yes. that's a good good luck to you guys on your Thank future. You. And podcast. for all of you listening, this is the time to comment. Let us know for, via email, Matt. What's our email? Our email is contact at only on tsd.com. You can hit us on Facebook. Matt, what's our Facebook? Our Facebook is facebook.com slash only on TSD. Cool. And we've got, do we have a, we have a Twitter too, right? I don't check uh, that. Yeah. Twitter is only on TSD as well. Excellent. All of those, or just, you know, if you know Matt, email him and tell him what you think of Phantom Menace. Just text tell message us. me, honestly, at two o'clock in the morning. Like, I have a lot of thoughts on Phantom Menace. I'll <laughs> hate you, but I'll listen. <laughs> Uh, you we can go gonna... to our website. Our website is 30something.digital. And I think that's all the places you can contact us right now. Excellent. Well, and I definitely want to put a call out to all of our MFers, all our fellow MFers, uh, all possibly three of you, to to definitely weigh in this time. We haven't been getting a lot of comments. We haven't been doing a good job of asking for them. We're going to work harder on that. We're definitely going to try and get some comments in on this, uh, this next one because I'm pretty sure everybody will have something to say on it. Agreed. Mm. Uh, I want to thank Jess. Jess, you're the best. Thanks for being here. I hope you'll come back sometime. My pleasure. Sure. Jess, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, like, do you have a podcast per se that maybe Matt and I have been on before? I don't have it anymore. No. It's on. Sure. It's, it's on. Available? It's on semi-permanent hiatus at the moment. <laughs> but if you want to go back and listen to some really great back episodes of Gateway Geek, uh, I think that was a pretty good show myself Mm -hmm. i was a fan still waiting for that last episode see i knew i I know i'm a real fan because i liked the episodes i wasn't even on so oh yeah that's saying something that's saying something those were the second best ones the ones i wasn't in (laughs) (laughs) they were really far up there but not quite my favorites exactly oh my goodness Um, guys we should also thank uh hayden smith and chrissy faith our executive producers on the channel um, I want to thank Tony. He's one of the producers and also the other guy I talked to on this show. I'm not going to thank Matt. He's got a big enough head already. But I do want to thank <laughs> Thank uh, you for Nick that, Tony. Ducci. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Nick Aducci <laughs> did our artwork for this, the uh, the awesome caricatures of ourselves for the movie fixers. Uh, Nick Aducci being uh, kind of a, a known person to Jess Aducci, our guest to start today. <laughs> they know each other? That's weird. Yeah. Huh. You can find us at houseaducci.com. <laughs> houseaducci.com where dreams yep. come true you've got to save that handle now no he what i think they have that <laughs> yep it's a mystery we'll find out next time all right movie fixers thank you so much for listening to us we will get back to you next week with star wars the phantom menace dun, 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 dun.